times your body weight in potato skins, tacos, and soft serve ice cream. The whole thing is just glorious. But even more iconic than Sizzler um, are Sizzler kids. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm just going to fill in some gaps for you. And these children are well acquainted with the Sizzler experience, and they have mastered the art of a salad bar. They hold uh, records at their local schools for the amount of food they have consumed. I still remember Alex, my mate, he uh, downed 27 plates at, at James's ninth birthday party. I'm sure they still talk about him at my school. And uh, there are, these kids are also certain of the cheesy bread conspiracy theory. You know, the one where they're convinced that cheesy bread is only served at the start, so it fills you up, so you eat less. You know that one, and they talk all about it. Um, but you've, if you've ever observed a child at Sizzler, you would know that they make an average of 43.4 visits to the soft drink machine. And uh, further to this, they are in no danger of just sticking to Pepsi or Sprite, but they're going to have a raspberry, lemonade, apple juice, Fanta, Coke, Mountain Dew special. And it's actually quite exhausting if you watch a child and they stand there at the machine pressing all the buttons. And you know that just in five minutes' time, they're going to go back and do it all again. So it's funny to look at the life of a Sizzler kid and have a bit of a laugh. Um, but when they stand at the soft drink machine, uh, it's, it's actually an experience that we see in life. Uh, and more broadly, I kind of name it as pushing buttons. Right? We see this more in life. Right? When people push the gym button, you know, the one where they buy that expensive gym package and they carry that little tag around their key rings, thinking that that will get them a six pack. You've seen it when people buy a new app that can track their heart rate, heart rate the number of steps, uh, steps per breath, their, uh, sorry, steps per day, breaths per hour, minutes standing, minutes sitting, fat burned, and seconds spent in mindfulness in the hope that they find their well-being. You see it when your mates jump on a dating site with the expectation that the love of their life is just one message away and that they will live happily ever after. See, some of us here may be guilty of those kind of things from time to time, but the root of this comes from a fundamental belief in our culture that you can push buttons and see results. And some of us have been, become so comfortable with pushing buttons that we do that to get fitter, healthier, more productive, more spiritual, have better relationships, or gain financial security. And soon enough, we look like that wild kid at Sizzler just pressing all the buttons all night long only to go back five minutes later and do it all again. See, this button-pushing mentality it's just massive in our society, but tonight, I'll be unpacking what this mentality looks like here, in church. Because some of us may be guilty of the hopeful gym membership or the well-being app, um, but we've all seen this button-pushing mentality when it comes to this thing called prayer. And if you're a Christian, or even if you don't consider yourself one, chances are you're familiar with prayer. Whether we're praying for that exam that is tomorrow, the speeding ticket that we suspect is coming, or a nation that has been brutally attacked, We've all said little prayers under our breath from time to time. And as things happen in our life, our last resort can be to pray and just hope that someone on the other side is listening. We pray for health, wealth, good fortune, luck, relationships, divorces, cancer, world peace, poverty. The list goes on. But at the end of the day, all we have done is applied the button-pushing mentality to prayer. But why do we do this? Well, it boils down to a core belief we have in our society. And that is prayer is a button to be pushed. And soon enough, we see prayer as this machine with buttons that are to be pushed, so we get the results that we are after. But what happens when the button doesn't work? Maybe you pressed the button repeatedly, but you failed that exam that you so desperately needed to pass. 
Perhaps your, your parents followed through with that divorce. Uh, it's left your family fragmented. But even though you prayed and prayed, nothing happened. For some of you, this is why you don't believe in God. You prayed um, for a family member to be healed. However, rather than recovering, their health got worse and worse, and they eventually passed away. And you've concluded that either God doesn't exist, because if he did, he would have answered your prayer, or you've concluded that God wasn't someone you wanted to have anything to do with, because he had the power to, uh, to you know, heal that sick person, but he didn't. So eventually you've decided that God is someone you don't want to know. I'm not going to try and convince you that you've been praying wrong your whole life tonight, but I simply want to unpack, unpack this thought that maybe prayer is not a button to be pushed. And so to discover what prayer is, we're going to be looking at a teaching directly from Jesus, which is recorded by a bloke named Matthew. And in the back end of his conversation, Jesus shows us what exactly prayer is if it's not a button to be pushed. The first point that Jesus addresses in his teaching is that prayer is not about pressing a button, and he does this by, doing, uh, by giving us a list of do's and don'ts when it comes to prayer. And we see this in verse 5 when Jesus says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites because they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street to be seen by others. See, when Jesus was addressing this crowd 2,000 years ago, he had noticed there was a press to impress culture surrounding prayer. Jesus saw that people would not only present their list of prayers to God, but they would use prayer to impress the people around him. People would literally stand on busy corners with their hands raised, praying to God. And these guys were clearly seeking their own personal validation and praise in prayer. And Jesus comes along, he sees these people doing this, he sees that they think that they're so spiritually in tune because of what they're doing, and Jesus is kind of like, weird flex, uh, but okay. And Because uh, he knows there is so much more to this thing called prayer. You see, in the next verse, Jesus says to go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father in heaven, who is unseen. Jesus is telling us we don't get God's attention through public, well-articulated, and nice-sounding prayers. He's letting us know that this whole prayer thing is between you and me. See, he's inviting us to see prayer as an opportunity for us to grow in relationship with God. And again, in verse 7, Jesus instructs us, instructs us not to keep babbling like pagans because your father knows your needs uh, before you ask him. And you may question, well, why do I need to pray to God if he knows what I need before I ask him? The reason is simple. It's because the purpose of prayer is not to get what you want. The purpose of prayer is to get to know God better. It's about a relationship. And God is a relational God. He's not a machine with buttons that we press. Uh, he doesn't give what he want, us what we want like that. See, prayer is not a button to be pushed. It is a relationship to be pursued. And Jesus is flipping the idea of prayer upside down. Prayer is not some weird mixture of words spoken to a random dude with a beard in the clouds, but it's a conversation with God, a God who knows about your life and a God who wants to be involved in your life in an incredibly intimate way. And Jesus knows this was a super challenging concept for the Jews at the time to understand. And for some of you here tonight, you may be thinking, uh, I've never heard a prayer like this before. And so Jesus, being the master teacher he is, he knew he couldn't leave it like this. He couldn't just leave us with a list of do's and don'ts when it comes to prayer, but he actually gives us a prayer to guide us into this relationship with God. And the prayer, given in Matthew 6, uh, verses 9 to 13, goes like this. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, some of you have probably switched off right now because you've realized that what's on screen is known as the Lord's Prayer. And hey, I've heard this probably a couple of hundred thousand times. And uh, I've become numb to these words. But tonight, I just want to encourage you to listen to these words in a new and fresh way. Because this is truly the Lord's or Jesus' prayer for us as followers of him. So as I go into this, I want to let you know we could spend literally an entire year looking at these words on screen, but I'm just going to focus on two aspects that guide us into that relationship with God. So the first thing this prayer does, it gives us a God-focused view towards prayer. See, our world is constantly telling us that life is all about me and my needs. And I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, that really freaks me out. I get caught in my head wondering what job I will take next, how I pay my bills, wondering um, how I progress in my career and how I'm going to mend those broken relationships in my life. And the list goes on and on and on and eventually I get trapped in this downward spiral where I can see no way out. And in these moments, my prayers become me-centered and we lose all the focus off God. So Jesus here is teaching us that our relationship with him is based upon looking to him rather than me. And God isn't this self-absorbed character that just wants all the attention and the lights on him. But the reason he desires all prayer to be about him is because he wants to help you. He wants what is best for you. And Jesus comes along and he says, I've got this. You don't need to worry. I want to lighten your load. See, that's why we pray, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. We open ourselves up for that transformational relationship with Jesus when we understand who's behind the your. And if we pray knowing that there is an all-loving, all-powerful God on the other side, we'll experience meaningful, life-giving relationship that was designed for us. When we shift our focus to God, God shifts our focus. And, uh, he gives us, and Jesus gives us his prayer to orientate us towards a relationship as well. And he gives us God priorities. And uh, this is a challenging point for me because I often give God my list of requests that I want, to look, that I want looked after. And whether it be helping to pay my rent or to have that tricky conversation at work or to uh, resolve a conflict in a close friendship. However, when we pray this prayer, we're asking God to reorder our priorities so they reflect God's priorities. Because if, our father, because if God is our Father, that means He wants what is best for us. So when we pray this prayer, we recognize that God has our best intentions at heart because He knows what's best for us. See, as we let go of our lists that we pray for, we can honestly open up to God. Our prayers go from asking for rain and good health to sharing our heart in the presence of God. We no longer have to say to God, yeah, nah, I'm okay. We can actually share our needs. See, if we've had a stressful time at school or uni, we can ask for patience. When we've got deadlines to hit, we can pray for focus. When we feel like we're drowning in relationships or commitments. We are allowed to ask for, uh, God for guidance and courage to move forward. And when we're lacking discipline, uh, we can ask for rest. See, we are allowed, and please do, to keep pray- praying for your family 
for this nation for famine, cancer, sickness, and health. But my encouragement to you, uh, for you, is so that you see this prayer as the disciples saw it 2,000 years ago. Because upon hearing this prayer, the crowd and the disciples knew the world had been flipped upside down by the words that came out of Jesus' mouth. Not by the fact that they got this new prayer that they could recite in church, um, but by the reality that they now had a way in which they could uh, connect and pursue a personal relationship with God. And this same offer to pursue a relationship with God through prayer is available for you and me to cash in. And the starting point to this prayer to this is to treat prayer as a relationship, not a button. See, at Beyond, we believe in lasting and impactful change to your faith journey, uh, which is why I would like to invite you to pray for the next seven days by using the Lord's Prayer as a template. So on your seats, probably stuck to your butt by now, um, we've got these small card printers for you. So I'd love you to um, take that and just hold it in your hands uh, right now. And uh, we've printed them on small cards, so you can put them anywhere you like. You can put them on the fridge, on your mirror, in your car, on the back of your phone. Anywhere you're going to see them for the next seven days. Because we want this to be a reminder for you to connect with God through prayer next week. See, my hope is, once you've prayed for seven days, you'll want to keep praying more and more and more, and that you'll pray so consistently that it just becomes part of your daily routine. That connecting with God in a relational way becomes just a rhythm of your life. See, Jesus chose to reinvent the way we approach prayer. Not that we have to impress him, but that we get to know him. Jesus isn't interested in our highlight reel. He's interested in pursuing a relationship with us. Because if God created you, and if he gave his life up for you, it would make full sense that he would want to connect with you. And we are designed for connection. I encourage you to step out into that relationship and meet God in a meaningful relationship. See, for you, that might mean talking with God while you take study breaks, while you sit bored at work, or while you walk your dog. But my prayer is that you'll be surprised at how different, different your life may be uh, when you begin to seek God intentionally. So this week, uh, give it a try. Turn your life upside down. So I'd just love to finish by praying for you all here tonight. Lord, thank you so much that you give, the, give us the opportunity to connect with you on a personal level. I'm just so in awe of the fact that you want to know me and I pray that people here take the chance to get to know you better. Guide us in our journey to become God-focused and, and uh, have God priorities as we go about our everyday lives. And all these things we pray in your name. Amen.